Hello, and welcome to Resolution, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention launched by the American Bar Association's Section of Dispute Resolution. My name is Reka Rangachari. I'm the Executive Director of the New York International Arbitration Center, and I'm one of a handful of hosts interviewing colleagues and friends about cutting-edge issues in our practice. Today, we're sitting down with a founder from one of our sponsor organizations, Peacemaker, offering software to enhance in-person, online, and hybrid mediations. A key feature of the platform is that mediators control the style and pace with authority to liaise with parties in caucus session and review offer terms digitally, deciding thereafter whether to publish to the other party or return. On behalf of Peacemaker, I'm sitting down with Brian Epps, previously a litigation partner at Kilpatrick, Townsend, and Stockton in Augusta, Georgia. He transitioned into mediating cases about 10 years ago. His colleagues describe him as someone committed to hard work, intelligence, and integrity. And we're going to get into it with Brian in a few moments. But first, let me introduce the official title of our podcast. We're focused today on risk analysis. And so we'll call it Risky Business, the best tool you probably aren't using. And so let me welcome Brian in and we'll get into it. Brian, welcome. Delighted to have you. Good afternoon, Rika. Thank you for having me. So the big question, what is risk? analysis and how are you exposed to it? Risk analysis is an economic approach to determining the present day value of an opportunity with multiple potential outcomes. Economists and social scientists have used quantitative decision making techniques since around the mid 1950s. I think if you go back, you can find some Harvard Business Review articles that talk about how you determine the present day value of a business opportunity with multiple potential outcomes down the road. When you ask that question, um, you know, the answer I gave is perhaps uh, a little convoluted. So let, let me boil it down to what I think is the simplest way of explaining what risk analysis is, the power of it, and the simplicity of it. Uh, Rekha, let's just say that a Mr. Smith walked up to the two of us and pulled out a coin and said, Reiko, I'm going to give this coin to you. If you flip it and it lands on heads, you'll win $10 million. If you flip it and it lands on tails, you will win a million dollars. And then I step in and say, well, wait a minute, Reiko, before you flip that coin, I would like to buy that coin from you because I'd like the opportunity to win $10 million. And so I'm sure you would want to call someone to talk about this, someone who is an expert in valuing these types of, of, of opportunities. And if you talk to a PhD economist, they would probably say, well, look, right, it's pretty simple. If you have a 50% chance of winning $10 million if it lands on heads and a 50% chance of winning $1 million if it lands on tails, then the fair value of that coin flip is $5.5 million. Why? Because a 50% chance of winning $10 million is $5 million. And a 50% chance of winning $1 million is worth $500,000. So add the two of those together and the total risk weighted value of that coin flip is $5.5 million. So let me ask you, Reka, what would you what would your price be? Would you sell that coin flip to me for five point five million dollars? I have to be honest, Brian, it depends on the day. I recently was sitting down with my broker and having these exact same conversations on investments. And <laughs> they say age can come into this equation, but not always. So 
today I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going to go ahead and take that take that money. Perhaps I'm I'm a bit risk averse, but ask me yesterday. I was feeling pretty good. Uh, I I may not have. I may have sought more. I love your answer, right? Because it depends on the person. So risk analysis and determining that risk weighted value of a case or a coin flip or a business is not a final number, but it is a very important starting point for you to begin to determine what a, an appropriate sell price is. I know a lot of successful plaintiff lawyers I've talked to about this issue and said, well, what would you, what would you want to sell the coin flip for? And it's so funny to me because some of them say, look, I would not take a penny less than seven and a half million dollars for that coin flip. Uh, but, you know, I think on average, probably most people aren't that uh, happy with risk. Right. And so I'm always staring at the $1 million result and thinking, you know, if I can get much much at all over the million, I'm going to be just fine. I think I would probably sell the coin flip to you for much less than 5.5 because I don't want to lose by landing on tails and, and just getting a million. Yeah, a dollar in the hand. No, you know, it reminds me actually of Harvard does a bunch of um, implicit bias scenarios that we take arbitrators and mediators through when we're running different trainings. And many of them will say, I don't have implicit bias um, just conversationally. And they take the tests and we, we all have something we bring to the table, right? And so I want to get into even more sort of why is it important for litigators and mediators? Why should they take the time learning this? How does it really impact their practice as they deal with clients? I don't think I could say this any better than uh, was said in an ABA forum on franchising uh, article written by Callahan, Dent, and Victor back in 2004, and we'll have a, a, the sites to this in the, in the podcast so people can access it, but uh, they said as follows, although the education and experience of attorneys train them to spot the issues, think about the strengths of each side's evidence, and have a feel for the range of potential jury verdicts, most have still never figured out the proper way to roll all the pieces together. As a result, it is easy to overvalue or undervalue cases and by significant amounts, a rigorous risk analysis allows cases to be valued more appropriately by providing counsel with the means to convert their opinions into numeric probabilities and properly weigh the potential outcomes by their probabilities of occurring. So what are they trying to say? They're saying that attorneys are experts at legal analysis, that is determining the strengths and weaknesses of their case. But oftentimes, a, a really good attorney's ultimate opinion lacks specificity, especially when they turn to communicating the risk and the values to their client. What are some examples? You know, how often have we heard an attorney say, to the client, you have a really strong case, or there's a strong likelihood of prevailing at summary judgment and at trial. But even when an attorney will be more specific and communicate the chances of winning and actual probabilities, even that can be misleading. You know, what does it mean when an attorney looks at a client and says, you have a really strong case, I think there's an 80% chance you're going to win. Does that mean there's an 80% chance you're going to win the summary judgment? Does it mean an 80% chance at trial? This um, is a red herring. I feel it, Brian. Tell us. So, you know, if you say there's an 80% chance of winning, but then you ask follow-up questions, you learn that there's an 80% chance of you winning at summary judgment and an 80% chance of then you winning at trial. 
those are two separate events. And so the, it means ultimately you only have a 64% chance of winning that case. And that is a critical difference. And uh, I'll, I'll quote another article for you. Donald Philbin in the Harvard Negotiating, uh, Negotiation Law Review uh, wrote an article called The One-Minute Manager Prepares for Mediation. And he said as follows, an 80% chance of success in six crucial stages of a military operation does not make for good odds, even though it may be tempting for a president to give the go-ahead when his generals report that the overall chances for a plan are good because each individual stage has an 80% chance of success, the combined results are a surprisingly low 26%. Why? Because if there's 80% chance of winning in each stage, you have to multiply 80% by 80% by 80%. And every time you do that, the number gets smaller and smaller until the ultimate chance of victory is only 26%. It's a tough reality to remind ourselves in the aggregate, right? When we're trying to advise um, our clients, risk analysis is still a fairly bulbous term. I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, we've talked about fair value, present value. We even did that coin toss, which I found illustrative. But any other misunderstandings you think that it's important for this audience to know so that we can get to the solution? Yeah. So, I mean, what I found in mediating cases for 10 years is that shockingly few lawyers understand how to uh, prepare a risk analysis. And I think it really boils down to two reasons. One is that math is hard, right? People don't know how to calculate percentages within percentages. I, I used to go through, before Peacemaker made it so easy, I used to sit down with the legal pad and go through the risk analysis questions with the lawyers and calculate it for them Sometimes it would take me sometimes, embarrassingly enough, 45 minutes to get through the questions, get their answers, and then the calculations would just get a little complicated sometimes. So, you know, the math is hard. I think that's probably the number one reason why risk analysis is misunderstood and underutilized. But also, um, I think the outputs are also off-putting, I guess you would say, because, you know, a lot of times you'll see the ultimate presentation of the of the risk weighted values presented in a horizontal decision tree format with these stop nodes and dollars assigned and i just i can't understand those decision trees they always confuse me and so at peacemaker what we've done is, is two things number one we've taken away the math right we ask you simple questions we ask uh, what's the probability of the case being dismissed before trial and how much money are you going to spend in fees and expenses to get through that portion of the case once you get to trial, what's the probability of a defense verdict? What's the probability of a plaintiff's verdict? When the plaintiff recovers at least one dollar, what's the high, medium, and low uh, potential uh, recoveries and the probabilities associated with each, as well as um, how much it'll cost you in total to get from where you sit today at me the mediation table through trial? So we do the math for you based on those very simple questions, and then Peacemaker generates a very simple table that I worked on for a long time that uh, along with some other people that shows you the risk weighted value of each outcome and the sum total risk weighted value of the case. Okay, so we're breaking it down. Well, lawyers can certainly do math. We rely on others or programs that help us put it all um, together. And now a word from our partners. Next Level Mediation Software is a mediator's best tool for advancing their online dispute resolution practice. 
It takes into account the psychological attitudes of the disputing parties and helps mediators find the key priorities to negotiate. Based on decision science and an easy-to-use interface, the next-level mediation platform can handle the most complex disputes. Register today at nextlevelmediation.com for your complimentary 30-day trial of the subscription service and enter the code A, B, A, discount, 20 for a 20% discount. And so it's great to talk about risk analysis, but I want to hear some, if you have them available, Brian, some real world examples. How does this work in practice? How have you seen it in your day-to-day proceedings? Well, this is probably to me, the most interesting part of this uh, is turning to, you know, giving examples and in, in real mediations of how powerful this information can be for the lawyers and for the mediator. Um, and so I'm going to go through a couple of these now, certainly in a way that uh, is generalized so that you don't know which cases I'm talking about. These are examples from cases that I have. Um, now that I have Peacemaker, I, what I do is in a couple of weeks before the mediation, I'll log into Peacemaker, create a case, and Peacemaker sends an invitation to the lawyers to join. And then each lawyer can prepare their own risk analysis. And my registration email tells them that I want them to share that with me at the time that they also give me the mediation statement. So now I get two things. I get the 10-page mediation statement that summarizes the case from each side's perspective. And separately, I get their risk analysis table that Peacemaker generates based on their answers to the questions. And Reka, at this point, if you told me that I could only have one of the two, the mediation statement or the risk analysis, I'm not sure which I would choose because to me, <laughs> they're yep. equally important. Mm-hmm. So let me let me go through a couple of examples that I think um, explain what I'm talking about. Um, I had one case where when you look at the risk analysis, the plaintiff estimated the chance of defense of a defense verdict at trial where the plaintiff did not recover one dime at being only 5%. There were two defendants. Defendant number one estimated the chance of a defense verdict at 62, I mean at 60%, and defendant two estimated it to be 80%. And so, you know, immediately I'm highlighting that on the risk analysis for discussion. And really and truly, that mediation became so much about determining who was right and who was wrong about the strength of the defense's case. And I should have known that walking in because if you look at also their risk analysis with their prediction of the high, the highest amount the plaintiff could recover at trial, this was very interesting to me. The plaintiff estimated that at trial, they would recover at most about $4 million. Mm-hmm. Defendant number one, estimated that their worst case outcome though was seven million and then defendant number two said eight million dollars. So there you've got a huge crossover where the plaintiff believes at trial their best day is 50% less than what the defense thinks the plaintiff's best day is. And so the hurdle then became trying to share enough information so that each side could gauge better the chance of a defense verdict at trial because they already agreed uh, on, I didn't need to have a discussion with the defense about their worst case scenario because they already realized it and thought it was far more than the plaintiffs. 
fascinating. Um, sort of the mental magic that has to happen to understand where people come at, come in at and how it evolves. So I'll give you another example. And, and I had a case where um, there was pretty much agreement by both sides that there was a significant chance of the plaintiff losing at summary judgment. The defendant said the chance was 50% and the plaintiff said it was 35%. And so uh, didn't have to have a lot of discussion about that. Certainly the plaintiff understood that there was a really big chance they could lose at summary judgment. The interesting part was, again, the defense verdict prediction. The defense said there was an 80% chance of them winning at trial, and the plaintiff said there was a 20% chance of the defense winning at trial. And so, it, again, it became a, a, a lot about a, a discussion of that. When, and very interesting to me in that case is that uh, if, it, if the plaintiff recovered if there wasn't a defense verdict and the plaintiff did receive money, both sides agreed that the highest verdict amount would probably be right at $450,000. The plaintiff said the highest they could recover is four forty-five, dollars and the defense said four fifty-two. dollars So that was uh, something I didn't really have to spend a lot of time on. Narrow margin. Good to hear. And so how do I use these in mediations? What do I do with them? Well, a lot of times I don't talk about the party's risk analysis. I don't want to come back in the room and um, you know, put the, the parties in an uncomfortable position. So sometimes I don't talk about them all, especially if I feel like the risk analysis they've given me is reasonable until perhaps we get to the end of the mediation. And one of my favorite uses of it then is to, on the plaintiff's side, let's just say that uh, the plaintiff is the one who said there is a 25% chance of of losing at summary judgment and, and a 20% chance of a defense verdict at trial. And this is one of these examples I'm talking about where the plaintiff estimated that. When we get to the end of the day and there is that final offer or near final offer on the table from the defense, oftentimes I'll go back to this risk analysis and I'll look at it and I'll, I'll walk in the room with the plaintiff and I'll say, look, um, your attorney has told me through this risk analysis that there's a 45% chance that you won't receive anything. And that at trial, there is a, an 8% chance you'll only get 50,000 and only an 8% chance you can get a medium verdict range of 200,000. Well, guess what? The defense has now offered you $275,000 to settle this case. What does that mean for you? It means that according to your attorney, your attorney's own risk analysis there is only a 20% chance, no, I'm sorry, 38% chance that you can do better than this at trial. I do that a lot with plaintiffs to make them understand it. And sometimes with the defense, right? Because uh, maybe they get to the end of the day and they've put up an amount of money that I think is not reasonable to settle the case. I'll go back to their risk analysis and say, look, this is, according to your own risk analysis, this offer doesn't even cover defense costs through trial or uh, this money that you put on the table, your own risk analysis tells me there's only a 15% chance that you can get out of this case for that amount of money, right? There's an 85% chance if you move forward and go to trial, your exposure is going to be much higher than the, this final settlement offer that you're making today. Wild how we, how we learn a lot from the risk analysis you've been talking about um, and, and just sort of making all folks in each room hear and understand uh, what it is that they're laying out. And having that information in advance is really 
it sounds like a critical step, um, not putting aside the mediation statements, but <laughs> aligned with them, we don't have to pick. <laughs> um, right. I have a final question for you. Um, what is one of the hardest things you find about being a mediator? Well, I guess I mean, I have to have two answers to that, you know, personally speaking, what's the most difficult thing uh, probably is when you get a case where there's a lot of emotion in both rooms. Uh, and it can be any type of case, you know, it can be a case where there's a really um, catastrophic injury and a lot of discussion about who's at fault and people are so upset they got sued. And in the other room, they're so upset because they've been hurt. Um, or, you know, maybe a business dissolution where partners have come to loggerheads. And so you spend all day, or maybe a construction dispute. I've had those happen too, where you go in one room and you just soak up all this stress uh, and emotion that the party's throwing in your direction because they're so upset about the litigation and the outcome in the real world that that spawned the litigation to begin with. And then you walk in the other room and the parties there are just as upset and feel just as wronged, you know, at least, or at least that's their presentation to you that they feel that way. And so, you know, mediators have a very difficult job to do and because you can't react to that. You know, you have to absorb it like a sponge in both rooms, vitriol. You're like a vitriolic sponge all day long. <laughs> and so when I get those cases, those are the most difficult. When I get those cases, my wife knows it when I walk in the front door. You know, all I want is uh, some kind of comfort food. And I want to turn on the TV and just stare at the screen, you know, before I go to bed, because I'm exhausted from that process of trying to make peace out of uh, harsh emotions. They say we're lucky when our empathy cup refills every day to walk into those rooms and be able to give those parties everything they need to figure out what whatever the middle line is between them um, and, and have a go at it. Brian, I wanted to share with our listeners Brian um, has been delightful in offering us all a free trial of Peacemaker for three months, really to just get into the system, learn more and playing with the tools about risk analysis, whether you know about it and you're well-learned or your first time to the table at this, um, but we'll share the details um, within the podcast write up. So do take a look there. Um, really, we're covering risky business. And so hopefully you learned something about a tool you might not have been using but it has been an extreme pleasure, Brian, to sit down with you and talk about this. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Take care, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to help support our podcast, please share it with others, subscribe, or leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with all the latest information on dispute resolution, follow the ABA section of dispute resolution on LinkedIn and Twitter. Or for more information, other ABA dispute resolution programs and publications, including upcoming events, visit www.americanbar.org backslash dispute. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.